What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods here coming at y'all with another Week 4 preview. And we got a huge and interesting Big 12 conference matchup between the West Virginia Mountaineers and the number 4 ranked Oklahoma Sooners Band kicking off in primetime, 6.30 p.m. Central Time on ABC. And right now, the Sooners are a 16.5-point favorite over the Mountaineers. And this, this game has so many ramifications in terms of Oklahoma's college football playoff bid, West Virginia's run to try to, you know, improve themselves in the Big 12, also looking to continue some more upsets, man. They had a big upset over Virginia Tech and Morgantown last week, so there's a lot to talk about here, but let's start with the Sooners looking to improve to 4-0, but they have so many questions to answer. They should come in with a chip on their shoulder because so many experts and fans are wondering about some of the issues that have come to light. In terms of them struggling a bit with Tulane and Nebraska in two of their first three games, this is going to be a huge measuring stick for the Sooners. And Saturday night, if they come out here and absolutely demolish West Virginia, could go a long way in determining what Oklahoma's potential is moving forward this season. So this game is extremely important for the Sooners, and I expect them to come out ready to go with a huge chip on their shoulder. Now, the Mountaineers suffered a tough loss to Maryland in Week 1, in which they had a plenty of chances to actually win that game. But they rebounded in a big way, showed their potential in a top-15 upset over number 15 Virginia Tech in Morgantown this past weekend. And now the question lies, can, how, can the, how can the Mountaineers and can the Mountaineers make it two, two consecutive top 15 upsets? If it can happen, Neil Brown is going to have this team absolutely firing on all cylinders, and it, it could go a long way in kind of seeing if West Virginia can be one of those top teams in the Big 12 this year. Now, this is the 12th matchup between these teams in school history. Oklahoma's won the last eight. The last West Virginia win came in the tw- t- uh, 2008 Fiesta Bowl. So a long time coming. West Virginia is going to be motivated to go. Norman's going to be rocking in prom time, and I can't wait for this game. But let's go ahead and get to the keys for the Sooners, man. It has to start with the rushing attack for me. And because you have to set up the deep passing for, for Spencer Rattler to finally open up and, you know, throw it deep for Oklahoma, take some shots, which is something that for some reason uncharacteristically has not been happening in this offense and it's really held them back. I do want to say, though, I love how Lincoln Riley has balanced the use of Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks. And I expect both of them to see a heavy dose of carries this weekend. But the one thing I want to see this running game do is help Lincoln Riley in this offense establish more consistent drives throughout the game. They've been dominating the second quarter, but there's been some lulls in, you know, in the third and early fourth quarter where Oklahoma can't seem to get it going, and they almost seem like they're stuck in the mud. And that cannot happen this weekend. West Virginia is too good for that. So you want Gray and Brooks to continue to be able to run the ball efficiently and also move the chains to control some of the clock and keep your defense fresh late into this game. You know, both of them have, you know, Brooks is over 200 yards. Gray's at almost 200 yards, both averaging over five and a half yards per carry. And Brooks has found the end zone three times. So they've been, they've had great production early in the season. And now I picked the rushing game because it, the Sooners have to help Rattler set up his deep ball. He has to push the ball down the field because he's averaging the least amount of deep passes per game in a season, you know, over the, 
less than the last four quarterbacks for the Sooners. Only three completions for 102 yards and a pick beyond 20 yards down the field. That's a 41.6 grade by Pro Football Focus and only a 53 a 56.3 passer rating for deep passes. You look at underneath, 87% completion percentage, 344, six touchdowns, no turnovers. So he's done a majority of his damage short underneath and intermediate routes in which the wide receivers go on then and go, and go ahead and make plays for him. But I want to see Oklahoma keep this offensive rhythm take some deep shots against the secondary who lost a lot of key p- uh, pieces such as uh, Tyke Smith to Georgia and uh, Dr- I believe it was Drayshawn uh, Miller to Auburn as well. Oklahoma's got to avoid those long stretches of walls and it, and it starts with getting the rushing game going and then letting Rattler work off the play action and being able to keep the defense honest and going down the field and allowing one of the deepest wide receiving cores in the country to be utilized and let their talent shine this weekend. So that's what I want to see out of the Sooners now. For the Mountaineers, it also has to be the rushing game, but for a different reason, because you have to keep the pressure off of Jared Doji, which was one which was the key to their upset bid for Virginia Tech last weekend. Letty Brown has played absolutely outstanding this season and is on pace to even outperform what he did last year, which he ranked second in the conference in rushing yards last year. He's already rushed for 265 and five touchdowns while averaging over five yards per carry. Last week he had over 160 yards, and he was the key to West Virginia wearing down that defensive front for Virginia Tech and opening up some space for Doji to go down the field. And, you know, Doji, you know, has – has not done well on passing on passing concepts not set up by the run. So setting up the play action game for Doji is of the utmost important. He and also the play action keeps the pressure off of him for the most part. He can keep the defense from he keep the defense back off of him where they're only blitzing the you know front four and they have to put those linebackers into coverage. But Doji has really struggled under pressure. So you have to try to work a way to get him high percentage throws and quick throws and things like that. So because Oklahoma's got a disgusting pass rush. I mean, they have one of the best front sevens in the country, and Doji has to find a way to get the ball out of his hands and keep that defense off of him. When under pressure, Doji only completes 38% of his passes for 126 in an interception and has a 28.8. Uh, passing grade by pro football focus when he's under pressure and Doji has to avoid the turnovers. He struggled with that at times, but if you get the Sooners are way too explosive for you to give them extra possessions, great field position, everything like that will lead to an Oklahoma blowout. So Doji has to rely on the run to open up some opportunities, keep the defense, you know, from just pinning the ears back and coming after him and also keep it in third and manageable. That way you can, you know, release the whole playbook in those in those situations because Oklahoma will pin their ears back if they find you in third and long. And I don't think West Virginia is equipped to stop what that would to stop what that would bring on from this Oklahoma defense. Now, the matchup to watch is so important and it builds right off of that. It's the West Virginia offensive line against the Oklahoma D-line. And we covered the West Virginia-Virginia Tech game last week, and it was the same type of matchup because keeping Doji comfortable in the pocket is of the utmost importance, which is what they did last week, and you saw how dangerous they could be when that offense is clicking. 
Oklahoma has a much better pass rush group than what Virginia Tech even had. And this West Virginia O-line is going into its biggest test of the season thus far, and they have to step up. They performed well at times this season. They've lost six sacks, 23 pressures, 13 hurries in, throughout their first three games. The, the unit as a whole performed pretty well last weekend, but the D-line is going to be so much more dynamic and dangerous than what Virginia Tech brought to the table. Right now, I would say the weakest spot is left tackle, and that spot has to shore up because, as we know, Nick Benito and those edge rushers for Oklahoma are dogs, and they will get to your quarterback. And if you are not playing at your best, Oklahoma is going to wreak havoc in the backfield. And that's because – Looking at the Sooners in this matchup, 17 sacks already this season, and they've generated over 64 pressures. That's only in three games, guys. They've got pressure on the quarterback 64 times, which is one of the best marks in the country. They're led by Perrion Whitfrey in terms of sacks right now with four sacks from the D tackle spot. He's so versatile and explosive. Perrion Whitfrey is absolutely putting on a show and it shows how dominant he can be, and he takes advantage of any one-on-one matchups he may see on the inside, which don't come often, but he but, but he just absolutely wreaks havoc in, inside. And that's not even including Nick Benito, three sacks, Isaiah Thomas, three sacks, Reggie Grimes, two sacks. Those guys will be some other names to watch on this defensive front for the Sooners. Now, if the Sooners can con- consistently pressure Doji, West Virginia is going to have a – uh, almost impossible time to tr- it's going to be it's going to be you're going to have such a tough time to try to win this game if the Oklahoma D-line allows Doji to be comfortable though I think West Virginia has the talent at wide receiver and quarterback and running back to take advantage of some of the matchups in the secondary if if you give Doji time he's going to find a way to expose the weaknesses in that secondary which shockingly is what Adrian Martinez did Tulane did at times as well, so you cannot let West Virginia sit back in the pocket and pick you apart if you're Oklahoma. Shut down the run and get to the quarterback. If you can pin your ears back, you can get to Doji, but if you allow Letty Brown in this offense to establish their type of game, control the pace of the game, continue to get first downs and wear down your defense, it, West Virginia absolutely has a shot here to take this win. And I honestly think this is going to be such a close game, guys. I mean, really and truly, I, I think Oklahoma right now shows some weaknesses. West Virginia is all, coming in with all the momentum in the world from their top 15 upset. But just right now, man, I think I think this game is too close to be a 16-and-a-half-point spread. So I don't have Oklahoma covering, but I do just think I trust Rattler in the clutch more than I do Doji, and I'll also trust the two-headed monster of Gray and Brooks over Brown right now. And that defensive front for Oklahoma, in my opinion, is just too good. They're going to force Doji into one or two key mistakes. And I right now have Oklahoma 34, West Virginia 24, a 10-point win for the Sooners, in which I think it's going to be a back-and-forth game early. And I just think Doji's going to make one or two mistakes down the stretch, which really allows Oklahoma to seal this game up. So I got a 10-point win. Oklahoma 34, West Virginia 24. Guys, I'm actually very excited for this game. I think we have a very underrated Big Ten matchup going down in East Lansing this weekend. Kicks off at 6 p.m. Central Time live on FS1. We got the Nebraska Cornhuskers traveling to East Lansing to take on the number 20 ranked Michigan State Spartans, who have been one of the 
really big surprises of the season. I think you could put them right up there with like an Arkansas, even like a Fresno State who's making a huge run in college football right now. But both of these two, both of these teams are coming into the weekend looking to prove that they are real contenders in the Big Ten, and that it's top. It's, it's time to start doubting them, and time to start putting a little bit of respect on their resumes. Now, what for storylines? Michigan State comes in undefeated. They have two marquee road wins. They beat. They I would say beat. They blew out Northwestern week one. They put on a explosive performance down in Miami last weekend. And they're looking to move to 2-0 in the Big Ten and really show everyone that they're a force to be reckoned with this year in the Big Ten title race and that this team is legit. I've got to say, I didn't see this coming. I will be up front. I did not predict them to be very good this year. And Peyton Thorne, Walker at running back, this team has been absolutely outstanding. Tucker has done a great job at the head coaching spot here at Michigan State. Now, the Cornhuskers come in at 500. They're 2-2. Two two. Both of their losses, though, coming on the road by single digits, one to a very good Oklahoma team. And really and truly, this team has shown over and over again that they can't be overlooked, and they're going to give everyone a real fight. The I Personally, I did not believe they would play Oklahoma as close as the, as close as they did. They had chances to win that game, and now Scott Frost is looking to potentially save his job. It'll be a huge road win to get them back to five hundred in Big Ten play, get them back in you know three and two for the season. But looking at the matchup overall, the Cornhuskers have won both of the last two matchups, which came in 2015 and 18, and they lead the overall series nine to two. The last wins, the only wins for Michigan State coming in 2013 and 2014. So Nebraska has historically dominated the series, but they are, as you'll see at the bottom, as I'm recording, a five point underdog. Now, the keys to victory, man, we'll start with Michigan State. It's been obvious all season long what the keys are for Michigan State. Run the ball. They have used a heavy dose of the running game to overwhelm opponents, and therefore it's been able to open up the passing game for Peyton Thorne to take his shots deep, and they just keep the defense off balance. They overwhelm you with so many different things. They're going to run it down your throat, take a shot, and then Peyton Thorne can also dink and dunk if you you know allow – the routes underneath to come open. So they have so many things that they can beat you with. And it's just, it's really for the first three weeks have overwhelmed these defenses. Now they're averaging over 260 yards per game on the ground. That's top 11 in the country right now in terms of rushing yardage per game. And they also rank fifth in the entire country in yards per rush this season, averaging almost seven yards per carry as a team throughout this college football season so far. And it starts with, Kenneth Walker the third man. This is the X factor for everything Michigan State wants to do. He has already rushed for a ridiculous 500 yards, five touchdowns, and for the season, guys, averaging almost nine yards per carry. And this isn't just like, oh, he's gotten the ball a handful of times. This is a starting running back who this offense leans on time and time again, and he is giving y'all nine yards per carry consistently. It is an outstanding – it's been an outstanding season for Walker. A lot of people are calling him the Heisman dark horse at running back. 
He's going to have to be a focal point of this offense. And I also want to give a shout-out to Jordan Simmons, backup running back. He's been great in his relief for Walker, over 130 yards. He's averaging six yards per carry. He knows he doesn't have to be special, but at least that running game doesn't take a huge drop-off when Walker comes off the field. Now, breaking it down in terms of like advanced analytic, how, how does Michigan State run the ball? The edge is going to be the battle of the night. If if Nebraska cannot control the edge of the line of scrimmage, they're going to lose this game. The Spartans off the edge, left or right, so off the tight end spot on the outside of this offensive line, they have rushed for over 400 yards, and they're averaging 12 yards per carry with six touchdowns running off the edge. That is that is elite production, and the tackles and tight ends on the edge and the H-backs have done an outstanding job of sealing the edge you know, and really getting up the field and getting into linebackers, getting into DBs and paving the way for Walker and these guys to really put up huge numbers off the edge. Now, Nebraska has to find a way to set the edge. They have to con- contain this running game off because the, if they allow them to be explosive off the edge, averaging 12 yards per carry, Nebraska's going to get run off the field just like we've seen Michigan State do to Miami. They did it to Northwestern. You cannot let them control the line of scrimmage, especially on, on the edges of this offensive line. Now, Peyton Thorne's probably been the biggest beneficiary of this running game. This this rushing attack is so dominant, so these wide receivers get a lot of one-on-one opportunities, which allows Thorne to have a lot of high percentage throws. He's able to take the deep shots off of play action, and and this year he's delivered on them. And he's shown why he was picked as QB1 for the Spartans. This year is a whole 62% completion percentage, over 700 yards passing, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, biggest stat of the year, and a rushing touchdown as well. Last year as a freshman, he really struggled with turnovers. He had three uh, he had three and three in terms of touchdowns to interceptions, and he really was inconsistent at times. But he has shown major, major improvement this year, and I think he should get a lot of credit for this Michigan State turnaround that we've seen this year. Now, play action has been a huge staple of this offense. Thorne is going to throw underneath. Without the play action, he only averages about 6.2 yards per attempt underneath. But play action is where he shines, guys. Four Over 400 yards passing, five of his touchdowns come from play action, and he's averaging almost 14 yards per attempt. So when they, when Michigan State runs the play action, they're going to take their shots and they're going to push the ball down the field, and Thorne has shown that he can do it. He grades out at a 90.2 in deep balls over 20 yards down the field. It's been one of the keys to make this offense so dynamic, and it's been the key to all the offensive success that we have seen from Michigan State this season. Now, for the Cornhuskers, and it, this, this one – is This is a key that I never thought I'd say on this show, but it has to be let Adrian Martinez go be the playmaker he has shown that he is able to be. The Spartans rushing defense is stout, so I don't think Nebraska is going to be able to just run the ball at, at, at their will. But the secondary has shown some flaws to me, and that's why Martinez has to be the key here, and the offensive line has to keep Martinez clean and comfortable in the pocket. I understand he had a very rough start against Illinois in week zero, but we have seen him respond in a huge way for the last three games. And he gave the Cornhuskers a real chance to pull off the upset in Norman. 
Um, he's already thrown for over a thousand yards. He's completing over sixty-five percent of his passes, five passing touchdowns, one pick, almost three hundred yards rushing, and four rushing touchdowns. He has been the the entire offense for Nebraska. If he can be dynamic with his legs outside the pocket, and then and allow the Cornhuskers to take advantage of the Spartans' defense, if they're not, especially if they're not disciplined in their rush lanes, Nebraska has a real shot to pull the upset here. Now. The key for Martinez has been keeping pressure off of him. That's why I mentioned the offensive line has to keep him clean. That's why this offensive line is going to be a huge key for the Cornhuskers. 70, you know, when he's not under pressure, guys, Martinez completes over 74% of his passes, 700 yards, four touchdowns, and has an 88.8 PFF passing grade. That grade drops to 60.2 when he's under pressure and he, that's when he threw his big turn. That's when he had his big turnover. And that's when he really gets out of his comfort zone and this offense starts to stall. Though I was really impressed with their wide receiver tight end unit this year. I thought they played well. Uh, some, I, I believe it's Samari tour and Austin Allen are really been the top targets. Allen being the tight end. They, they're going to be some players to watch, man. They both got over 13 catches. Tor has 333 receiving yards, two touchdowns, and is averaging over 20 yards per catch. Also, Omar Manning is also going to be a player to watch. He's been a deep threat for the Cornhuskers, and he has enough experience to go make some plays on the outside as well. Now, the matchup to watch, as much as it's also Nebraska's front seven against this Michigan State offensive line, which has been outstanding, I'm going to go the other way and pick the front seven of the Spartans against this Nebraska offensive line because I don't think Nebraska is going to be able to completely shut down the run game. The key, though, is to allow your offense to take some pressure off your defense and keep them off the field. So establish drives and and really have this offensive consistency at a high level. That's going to be the key. So protecting Adrian Martinez is going to be of the utmost importance if the Cornhuskers want to win this game. So that's why I picked this matchup. The Cornhuskers offensive line, guys, to put it nicely, has been atrocious at times this season. While this weekend is going to be a huge test, they're going to have to show up in a big way, and they're going to have to show some consistency, which they've shown at times, but it just hasn't been enough to really convince me that they're, they're going to be a strength of this team moving forward. Now, the offensive line does not have a single starter that grades above a 60 on pass blocking this season. They've allowed 11 sacks, 48 hurries, and this is the most ridiculous set of all in four games, over 60 pressures on Adrian Martinez. That cannot happen this weekend, and the tackle spot is by far the biggest concern where the two starting tackles have – allowed almost 30 combined pressures off the edge. So uh, Bryce Bernhardt and Turner Cochran have to step up this weekend at those tackle spots because if Michigan State's getting pressure off the edge, it's really going to disrupt what this offense wants to do going forward in this game. Now, Michigan State's defensive line has to find a way to let Martinez get settled in, and they have to be disciplined in their pass rush lanes because if you let him escape the pocket, he can hurt you. He had a huge 75-yard touchdown run against Illinois that really brought Nebraska back into that game, and they almost came back in that one. 
The edge spot, of course, is the one to watch due to Nebraska's offensive tackle struggles. Jeff, I believe it's Petrowski and Drew Beasley are the guys you're going to have to watch there. Both of them already have two sacks this season, and they've combined for over 10 pressures this season and probably are the X factors to watch on this defensive line. Jacob Slade and Simeon Barrow are the guys to watch on the interior of the defensive line, while also Pavarius Couch from his linebacker spot is the highest-graded pass rusher on this Michigan State defense. I think he's going to be the one tasked with really trying to stop Martinez's legs and also get after him and make him uncomfortable in the pocket. I love how this defense is able to get after the quarterback and get to the backfield. They've been extremely stout in terms of just overall defensive consistency this year. They really, really rattled uh, De'Aaron King in that Miami offense last week. So if they can repeat that, it's going to be smooth sailing for this Michigan State team this weekend. Now, I expect East Lansing to be absolutely electric this weekend. This team is rolling. This is one of the better Michigan State State teams we have seen in a while. That I think the fans are going to turn out. I think the team's going to be fired up. This is, you know, their first big game at home. They had a cupcake game week two. I think this place is going to be electric. I think Michigan State does win this. I think Kenneth Walker is going to be able to run the ball against the Nebraska team that has struggled at times to stop the run. You look at that Illinois game, and you look last week, Oklahoma was able to run the ball fairly consistently. I think Michigan State establishes the run, but I do think Adrian Martinez is good enough to keep this close throughout the game. I just think Michigan State is able to control the pace of the game, able to control the clock. And right now, Peyton Thorne in this offense is rolling a bit too much. And I think Martinez is going to make a late mistake to really seal the game. I have Michigan State in a great game in East Lansing, 27-20 to over the Cornhuskers. So I got a seven-point win. They cover that five-point spread, just in case you guys are wondering. But, man, right into it. We have such an interesting matchup in terms of the ACC Atlantic Division this weekend. We got the number nine Clemson Tigers traveling to take on the NC State Wolfpack in Carter-Finley Stadium this Saturday, 2.30 p.m. Central Time, live on ESPN. Clemson is a 10-point favorite currently, and this one could get this one could turn the ACC on its head in terms of that ACC championship race. Both of these programs have something to prove. They have questions surrounding their program. And a win here will go a long way to establishing momentum for the rest of these for the rest of the season for both of these teams. Now, for storylines, Clemson comes in at two and one, but many people are wondering if the Tigers can realistically make a run to the college football playoff this year, um, you look at what st- the struggles they had against Georgia Tech last week. George- the Yellow Jackets gave Clemson all they wanted and more in Death Valley last week, a 14-8 to win for the Tigers. DJ still doesn't look comfortable. The running game has been hit or miss. Will Shipley had a decent game last week, but the defense right now is dragging Clemson through this season. So this would be a great time to get a huge conference road win, get all that positive momentum and really quiet some of the doubters in that Clemson camp right now. Now for NC state, they also come in at two and one, they fell to Mississippi state in week two, but they got two big wins otherwise. And they're looking to make a huge statement with an upset win over the Tigers and prove that this team is ready to compete for an ACC championship Devin Leary at quarterback has been outstanding. Zonovan Knight at running back. And this team overall is one of the better NC State teams that we have seen over the past few years. And now 
In terms of this matchup, Clemson has won 15 of the last 16 games, and and they're all currently on an eight-game win streak in which only two of those games have been a one-score uh, you know, matchup. So Clemson has dominated the series, and right now NC State is looking like, man, if we could pull this upset, it would be a program-defining win if we could upset this Dabo Sweeney-led Clemson Tigers team. So let's get into the keys of the game, man, because this one's going to be extremely competitive, in my opinion. I'm so excited to see this game. But if the Tigers, man, it's all about getting this offense back on track because nothing has really gone right as they've been up against FBS opponents in Georgia Tech and Georgia. The run game's been inconsistent. The offensive line has had lapses. Wide receiver has been a question mark. Other, you know, outside of the defense for this Clemson team, nothing has really shined or, you know, really caught anyone's eye other than, you know, the struggles of this offense. The key for me here, though, is to make DJ comfortable in the pocket, let him gain his confidence, and also just show what he can do when he gets the ball to his playmakers in open space on the outside. Now, you know, he's really struggled. I understand he looks out of rhythm. He looks uncomfortable. He's completed less than 60% of his passes, one touchdown, two interceptions for DJ. And he's just really failed to push the ball down the field. Only 33% of his passes, guys, have traveled beyond 10 yards, have traveled beyond 10 yards down the field. And Mississippi State showed you can you can push the ball down the field on this NC State defense. So DJ has to come prepared to throw the ball, get the ball to his talented wide receivers on the outside, and trust his offensive line to win the matchup at the line of scrimmage. This is the perfect opportunity for DJ to show everybody exactly why he was tabbed the future of Clemson football. This is the moment to do it. This is the defense to do it against. You need to air it out and just at least get some throws in and show that you can make those downfield passes. You can get the ball to your playmakers. You've got to build confidence going into some of the tougher games you have coming up on your schedule later this season. Now, the other problem for Clemson, and this that's why I don't put everything on DJ on this offense, and I think they're going to be okay down the stretch, the depth at the wide receiver spot has been concerning. Really and truly, it's been a two-man show. Joseph Ngata and Justin Ross have been the only guys who have consistently shown they can go get their own separation and produce at a high level. These guys have combined for 25 catches for over 300 yards and a touchdown, no other wide receiver on the roster right now for this season has over three catches or over 40 yards for the Tigers. That is the most ridiculous stat in this offense, and the two tight ends, including Braden Galloway, have more catches and yards than some of the other wide receivers on this team. EJ Williams, Frank Latson, uh, I believe it's Aju Aju, have to step up at the wide receiver spot this weekend. They have to go make some plays for the Tigers. And this wide receiving unit and this team is too talented to keep production as low as it has been this season. The Tigers have to get DJ some high percentage looks early. They got to keep this offense, you know, in front of the chains on track. You know, don't let them get behind. Don't let them get behind the sticks while letting their wide receivers go out and make plays in space against a vulnerable secondary for NC State. You have to trust EJ Williams. You have to trust Justin Ross, Latson, um, and Gata, all of them to go out there and show why they've been, they were the highly rated recruits that you brought them into Clemson for. Let DJ 
just throw some quick short passes, get that confidence up, and show that you can push the ball up the field with DJ throughout this game. That's my key for Clemson. Now, on the flip side for NC State, it's the complete opposite. The key for NC State starts starts and ends with the rushing attack. It's carried the team through this, the first few weeks of the season, and when Mississippi State shut the run game down, it made the Wolfpack one-dimensional, and things got tough for this offense as they only put up 10 points in Starkville that week. They have a two-headed monster, Zonovan Wright, Ricky Ricky Person Jr., and they will have to keep fresh bodies in the backfield against this dominant and, and, and really and truly troublesome front seven for Clemson. I mean, that they got talent everywhere. I love what that front seven for the Tigers bring. They're going to be hard to block. They will be in the backfield, and really and truly, this rushing game has to find a way to make some space on the inside of this offensive line. Now, Knights has over 300 yards rushing, averaging eight yards a carry and two touchdowns. Uh, person, 165, over averaging over five yards per carry and three touchdowns. So both of these guys can produce at a high level and be that lead back. Now, the Wolfpack has utilized the left side of the offensive line for their rushing attack. Not surprising, Grant Gibson at center and Chandler uh, Zavala at left guard are the senior leaders of this offensive line. And Akeem, I believe it's Awanu at uh, left tackle, is one of the most promising young sophomore offensive linemen in the country. Some people think he could be a potential first-round pick in the coming years. So that's no question that this left side of the offensive line is by far the strongest. And they've had the most success – Running on the, running at the left side B gap and also off the left tackle spot. That these spots have accounted for over 330 total rushing yards, four touchdowns, and they're averaging seven yards per carry running off tackle and in that B gap on the left side of this offensive line. It's going to be interesting given the strength of Clemson's defensive line and also Tyler Davis at D tackle is out for this game. You know, we already know Brian Barisi is going to be in the middle of that defensive line, and he's going to be a factor. But can I believe it's Ruke or Horio is going to be stepping in for Tyler Davis? Can he step up and you know make the type of impact that Davis did? Because when they lost Davis, you know, I believe it was last season, the defense really struggled to replace him on the inside of that defensive line. So can Rook replace him on the inside of the line next to Barisi? And that is going to be a huge factor to look for, especially because we know NC State is going to want to establish the run. Now, NC State also has to find a way to control the pace of this game, keep themselves in third and manageable situations, because once Clemson can pin their ears back on third and longs, Brent Venables is one of the best defensive minds of the country, and he is going to blitz you. He's going to do it creatively, and you're not going to be able to stop it. Ask Alabama, ask Notre Dame last year in the ACC Championship, ask anyone who Clemson has played over the past few years. Brent Venables in third and long situations is a madman, and he was going to get to the quarterback one way or another. So you have to stay in front of the chain to stay on pace if you're this NC State offense. Now, for the matchup to watch, there was a few I could have went with. It has to be the Clemson offensive line versus the front seven for the Wolfpack, though, because this Tigers O-line has been inconsistent. At times, they failed to create rushing lanes, along with failing to make DJ feel comfortable in the pocket. But... It's weakness for it's not weakness, but it's inconsistency versus another inconsistent unit in the Wolfpack D line. They have not been a huge factor this year. So which of these units can really step up this week and improve that it just took them a little while to get going and have a big game to lead their team to victory? 
the Clemson O-line has had their moments of excellence, but the consistency has not been there this season, and it really stems from the right side of this offensive line failing to consistently pass block. Will Putnam and Walker Parks, right guard and right tackle, have allowed four sacks, 10 hurries, and 13 pressures this season. Just from that right side of the offensive line, they are by far the weakest link, and they have to step up this weekend. Matt Brockhorst at center and Jordan McFadden at the other tackle spot have been the bright spots. And really and truly, if this offensive line can form some type of chemistry and click this weekend, I think Clemson's offense is just a is is ready to explode and ha- experience a huge takeoff in productivity if if these one or two little things can go differently for this offense. So the offensive line chemistry, especially on that right side, is something to really watch out for for Clemson this weekend. Now, if this offensive line can control the line of scrimmage, the X factor becomes Will Shipley for me. I think he is a breakout star waiting to explode onto the college football the college football scene. Over 175 rushing, four touchdowns, averaging over five yards per carry in three games this season. He has really established himself as the number one option at running back. Pace um, and Lynn J. Dixon have not been effective at running back for the Tigers. So watch out for Shipley if this Tiger offensive line can win this matchup because he has the ability to be a game changer and really help DJ open up this offense this weekend. Now, this NC State defensive line has failed to generate a consistent pass rush. This has to change this weekend if they want to pull the upset over the Tigers. Only two sacks this season and only getting pressure on 26 dropbacks through three games, it really hurt their chances against Mississippi State because Will Rogers was able to sit back there and make the throws needed to win that game. Now, Daniel Joseph and Corey Durden are going to be the two senior leaders of this D-line. They're going to be players to watch off the edge, especially whoever matches up with Parks on that on that right side of that Clemson offensive line. Now, C.J. Clark at the nose guard spot is going to be the X factor for NC State in this matchup. True freshman, he's going to have to step up and have one of the better games of his career and try to shut down this Clemson run game and also try to find a way to make D.J. uncomfortable. Something has to give here. If Clemson can protect D.J. and establish some sort of, the, of, of, of a rushing game, Clemson, in my opinion, is going to have a great shot to win this game and win it convincingly. But if DJ gets uncomfortable, makes a few mistakes like he's been prone to do when he gets under pressure, and the Clemson run game's not there, NC State absolutely is going to put the Tigers on upset alert. Now, for my official prediction, man, I think this game is a low-scoring game early. I would have, I'd be no surprise at all if it was like 10-3, 7-3, something like that at halftime. I think it's going to be a slow first half for both teams. I just... Something tells me that, like I said, this Clemson offense is just one or two execution, you know, one or two pieces from executing efficiently and operating at a high level. I think their talents there at wide receiver, EJ Williams is someone to watch. Will Shipley, to me, is going to be the one guy that I think could change the game. I just think Clemson has too many playmakers, their defense is too good, and that they're going to be able to get pressure on NC State, and really slow down Zonovan Knight. And we're going to see a similar matchup as we saw against Mississippi State where the NC State offense really just can't establish drives, and then that defense is going to wear down down the stretch. So I have Clemson winning this game 27 
to 13 this weekend. I just think I, – I just personally think Clemson is just too good for NC State to pull the upset. And I know that they haven't played the most outstanding football, but for me, Clemson is too talented to lose this game this weekend. I think DJ is waiting to have his best game this this weekend. And I really think this NC State defensive line not being able to consistently rush the passer gives DJ the best shot to have his best game of the season. I think Will Shipley has does his thing. And Brent Venables, man, I never doubt him in a matchup like this. They're going to get after Devin Leary. And if Zonovan Knight in that rushing game can't get going, Clips is going to pull away late 27-13 over NC State. Guys, like I said, off here with number 12, Notre Dame, taking on the number 18, Wisconsin Badgers. In Soldier Field, in Chicago, Illinois, man, and I am so pumped for this game. And, you know, Soldier Field's usually known for, you know, historic great NFL matchups in the past, but it's going to be host to a huge top 20 matchup for Fox Fox's big noon kickoff game. So it's 12 p.m. Eastern time, 11 a.m. Central time um, coming on this Saturday. But this is an interesting matchup because these schools, shockingly, have not faced each other since 1964. That year, the Irish came away with a 31-7 to win, and the Fighting Irish control the series right now with eight wins, only six losses to Wisconsin. They had two ties in their, in their series as well. But the storylines are there, man. They, you know, the Fighting Irish are looking to improve to 4-0, and and this serves as a revenge game for quarterback Jack Cohen, who transferred to Notre Dame from Wisconsin after last season, and emotions are probably going to be running high, and Notre Dame understands they have a lot to prove to a lot of people around the country because a lot of people are questioning how good this team is, especially after Florida State has has absolutely fell off. I believe I don't believe they've won a game since they faced uh, Notre Dame. They lost to Jacksonville State and just got blown out by Wake Forest this weekend. So there's going to be a lot to prove for Brian Kelly and this Fighting Irish squad. Now, the Badgers, on the other hand, coming off a of bye week, you know, I hate early season bye weeks. When you have a game like this, it is actually pretty helpful to have a bye week. They're looking to find a way to get above 500. They're one and one right now, and they're looking to add a huge rank win to their resume after falling in a, in a six-point loss to Penn State in week one. That loss is looking better and better. Penn State just keeps racking up the wins, had a big win this weekend against Auburn, and so now that win is a like a top seven, eight win for Wisconsin right now. So that's a, that's still a great loss as we're looking at it right now. But they, the defense has to step up. The defense is going to carry this team, the running game. So we're going to find out exactly what the Badgers have against another talented team early on in the schedule. So let's get into the keys for the game, man. And we're going to start with Notre Dame. And it's, it's easy. Both of these teams are going to have similar keys, but for different reasons. But for the Fighting Irish – it's got to be established a running game because Wisconsin aims to make teams one-dimensional and you have to set up the play-action game for Jack Cohen this weekend. That's that's going to be the best way to promote his success against a very, very tough matchup in this Badgers defense. You look at Kyra Williams. He might not be having as much success as he was last season when he absolutely exploded onto the scene, but he still has been a formidable running back. And if he gets the opportunities, if the offensive line can can improve their play just a little bit and pave some holes, 
He is able to gash any defense, create some explosive plays. We saw it last year against Clemson. We really saw it all the way throughout the year. So Kyron Williams is going to be a key here. 200, 211 yards rushing, averaging almost five yards per carry, and already has two rushing touchdowns on the ground thus far. But the, when I was kind of looking at some of the advanced analytics on how they run the ball, they have to be better running to the outside. They Running off the tackles, off the edge spots, has really been a, a problem for Notre Dame. They've really struggled to control the line of scrimmage at the tackle spots. Only 37 yards rushing total, and they're averaging less than 2.5 yards per carry off the edge. You can't be one-dimensional just running up the middle. You're going to have to try to find some space sideline to sideline. And so opening some holes and sealing that edge and controlling the line of scrimmage on the outside is so important for Notre Dame this weekend to give a bit more versatility to their running game, make some zone in there, make some power. I want to I see them kind of expand their re- repertoire because they have the running back in, Ky- in Kyron Williams to go out and get some plays for you. Now, the, the the solid part, though, is Williams has been dominant running behind the two guards. It, going behind the guards, he's averaging over eight yards per carry and 120 total yards this year. So that's been his bread and butter is running right off that like B gap. If you can if, if they can control that again, too, that's going to cause some problems for those Wisconsin linebackers. And they're going to have to step in the hole and make a play consistently because if Kyron Williams breaks a tackle, you're going to be in for a long day if he can start getting to that second, third level of this defense. Now, Jack Cohen, for me, has performed better than I thought he was thus far this year, especially, and I'm sure Notre Dame fans feel the same way, especially all the criticism that you know this, te- this team got when they named him the starter. And they've shown some life deep. The deep ball has been something that was missing for multiple seasons now for Notre Dame. And right now, Cohen has been able to deliver a few times deep, which kind of which helps opens up helps open up the offense a bit. It keeps defenses honest, and they're not looking for more of those intermediate to short routes. Now, 830 yards passing, eight touchdowns, only two turnovers in the first three games, while completing over 63% of his passes. That's a pretty great mark this early in the season. And you know, Cohen has thrown three touchdowns deep down the field that traveled over 20 yards down the field. That was not something Ian Book was consistent at. And Cohen has shown that he is not afraid to take a deep shot here or there. And they're going to have to try to take some of those shots, but they have to be smart with it because that's why I picked the running game to be key. If you watch this team, the play action sets Cohen up so perfectly for what he likes to do in his skill set. And the wide receiving spot is still a bit of a concern for me for Notre Dame. So being, you know, if you get that play action established, it allows those wide receivers to get one-on-one matchups and get more favorable coverage matchups down the field. And when you look at Notre Dame's play breakdown, They've only run play action on about 25% of their plays this year, but I expect that to change in this matchup because I was looking at uh, Pro Football Focus's college grades, and they grade Cohen one of the best quarterbacks in the play action. He has above a 90 grade, which is one of the best grades in the country in play action offense, 200 yards and a touchdown with no turnovers off of play action concepts. If they can establish the run, get Cohen high percentage throws, keep the defense off balance and find ways to establish drives, this Notre Dame team is going to be in a great position to escape this game with a huge win. Now, 
On the flip side, the, the key for Wisconsin is the same thing. This game is going to be a slugfest between two great defenses and some offenses that have some holes. So the team that's able to run the ball, control the clock, you know, set their pace of the game and be in control of everything is going to win this game. And for the Badgers, it's different because Kyron Williams was really the only, uh, for me, proven option for Notre Dame. The Badgers, though, I think have three running backs that have flashed potentially either last year or this year that they can be running back one. And I expect this game to see a nice rotation of running backs to, to keep, the one, the defense off balance, and two, try to keep fresh bodies in as you try to wear down this front seven of Notre Dame. Now, Ches Malusi has been the guy thus far for the Badgers. He has been explosive, consistent, and he has by far established himself as the number one option for Wisconsin. 265 on the ground, averaging over five yards per carry, and two touchdowns already. But I want you guys to watch out for Berger and also I believe it's Guriendo as the other back. Both of these guys have shown flashes. Both of these guys just have to find their rhythm and be a bit more consistent. And when they're called on, they have to go out and make a play or two. They've combined for also over 200 yards rushing and two touchdowns in the first two games of the season. So I want to see how, you know, how the carries are divided. I expect, you know, for me, I expect Malusi to get the, the Malusi to get the number one carry. And then, uh, you know, Garendo and Berger kind of, share the the leftovers as they're trying to you know keep them fresh but Notre Dame the Notre Dame defense has really struggled to stop the run and that's why it has to be key you know the Badgers have a great opportunity to capitalize with this amazing offensive line with three running backs that can go create their own plays and take advantage of this you know Notre Dame's defense ranked 75th in the country in yards per carry allowed us you know this season if they can take advantage of that, Notre Dame is going to have a tough time keeping Wisconsin off the field, and they're going to have a tough time you know, keeping their defense fresh down the stretch, and that is going to play perfectly into the Badgers' hands. And, you know, I've mentioned the play-action game for you know, Cohen. The main reason the running game is the key for Wisconsin is because right now the passing game has been atrocious this year. It's been one of the worst in the country, most inefficient in the country, and Graham Mertz has to live up to his potential finally. For me, he is one, he is someone who has absolutely underperformed what he was supposed to coming into Wisconsin. You know, he's thrown for over 300 yards, but he has yet to throw a touchdown pass and has already thrown two picks, which proved to be costly. Now, the biggest stat for me, this is so concerning, and this is going to really hurt them against Notre Dame. Mertz has yet to complete a pass beyond 20 yards down the field and has only completed seven passes past the 10-yard mark. That cannot happen. You know, this Notre Dame defense with Kyle Hamilton and those safeties are going to be down in the box, and they're going to make you throw, and you have to be able to make a throw here or there. You know, the other key for Wisconsin that, you know, it's it's real simple. Can Mertz make the one to two throws in this game to win the game? I think they can establish the running game, and I think they have a lot of talent on the offensive line. Their defense is going to hold Notre Dame to a low point total. Is Mertz going to be able to make a throw in the key moments to win the game? If he's not and he turns the ball over, Wisconsin is going to have a tough time winning this game. And I mentioned the offensive line. The number number one thing they have to do 
is protect Mertz. Notre Dame cannot find a way to get to Mertz, to Mertz because he's only completing 35% of his passes for 18 yards in an interception when under pressure. If Notre Dame could consistently get Mertz uncomfortable and get in his face and find ways to get sacks and you know make him feel uncomfortable, Wisconsin is going to really struggle in this matchup. So that's that's another key as well for Wisconsin. Now, for the matchup to watch, you know, I I've really debated on this one. I think there's probably two or three you know, positional battles that I could have went with. But for me, the matchup to watch has to be this revamped Notre Dame offensive line against the front seven for Wisconsin. One, because the offensive line has to pay rushing lanes for Kyron Williams. And two, you want to protect uh, Cohen. That way he can make plays down the field against this Wisconsin team. But then also the front seven is probably the strength of this Badgers defense. So, you know, I want to get to one huge development as I'm recording Leo Leo Chanel is coming back, who was the leader in sacks for the Badgers last year and was the number two tackler on the team. So now him and Jack Sanborn are going to form one of the most experienced and feared linebacking duos in the country. And Notre Dame is going to really have to deal with them and try to figure out what they can do to slow up this front seven because they're going to be flying around, getting in the backfield and making plays all across the field. Now, Sanborn right now leads the Badgers in tackles right now and is the high, one of the highest-graded linebackers in the country with a 90.7 overall defensive grade by Pro Football Focus. And I want to get to the D-line. This is going to be the key. The linebacker production is going to be there, but can Nick Herbig and Keanu Benton on this defensive line go out and make enough plays against this Notre Dame offensive line to get to Cohen and slow down Kyra Williams? Noah Burks and Isaiah Mullins are also two names to watch for the Badgers, but these guys have to be stout against the run, and they have to find a way to get Cohen uncomfortable, make that internal clock tick, and get him uncomfortable in the pocket because the number one thing you can't do, and Florida State showed you this for three quarters, if you let Cohen stand in the pocket and you just and he feels good, he's going to absolutely tear you apart. So make him uncomfortable. Get him off his spot and and make him go make plays when he when he's really out of his comfort zone. That's going to be a key. Now, the Notre Dame offensive line replaced four starters from last season, and right now the left tackle spot is all up in the air. We've seen Tosh Baker, we've seen Michael Kermati all take snaps at that left tackle spot. So that I don't know who as of right now who is going to get the start right this second because we're recording on a Monday night, but. Um, I'll keep you guys updated on that. But Jared Patterson has been lights out on the offensive line. But Kane Madden and Josh Lug have to be more consistent this weekend. They've had multiple breaks in terms of pass blocking and run blocking. The Fighting Irish have given up 14 sacks this season in only three games and over 21 pressures. And this is going to be, this is by far going to be the best front seven that Notre Dame has seen all season. So the offensive line has to play their best game. And in this matchup, you know, Jim Leonard is one of the best defensive minds in the country. I expect Wisconsin to show so many different fronts on that defense for defense. They're going to run a lot. They're going to run a lot of stunts. They're going to try to isolate one-on-one matchups with the offensive linemen that they pick out that they think they can beat. And if they isolate those one-on-one matchups and Wisconsin wins them, it's going to be a problem for Notre Dame and Jack Cohen in this offense. 
So Notre Dame has to make sure they communicate. They have to find ways to limit the pressure on Cohen if they expect to win this game. Now, you know, for the official prediction, man, you know, the line right now as I'm recording is Wisconsin five and a half point favorites. And I I don't man, it, it's good. That's such a hard line. I hate those lines that are like right in between like a touchdown. Cause it's like, man, one, it's, it's so hard to hit a five and a half point mark right now. I think it's going to be a very close game, all game. And I think it's going to come down to a late touchdown, something like that. I think these teams are very evenly matched. I think their strengths are very similar with defense being the strength, strong running games and questions at quarterback. So I think it's going to go back and forth. I just have a bit more faith in the Wisconsin offensive line and that in that three-headed monster running back compared to Kyron Williams and some inconsistency for that Notre Dame offensive line. The one thing, though, is what if Kyle Hamilton and that Notre Dame secondary go off this weekend, Notre Dame could run away with this one. But right now, as we sit – I'm going to ride with the Badgers in a very close game. I think they score late to win this game. I got Wisconsin 23, Notre Dame 16 in Chicago and Soldier Field. So, you know, a one-score win for the Badgers for me. So, guys, if your game of the week this week, which is the Texas A&M Aggies number seven in the country, facing the number 16 Arkansas Razorbacks. And right now the Aggies are a a five-and-a-half-point favorite. This game kicks off at 2.30 p.m. Central Time. And it is, the like I said, it's our matchup of the week in AT&T Stadium on CBS. And it's probably, listen, I know in the preseason a lot of people didn't dub it this, but right now you could argue this might be one of the most important matchups in the SEC this season. And it's going to be due to A&M being a top 10 team, Arkansas being the Cinderella story of college football this year. And you look at the storyline surrounding this game. First of all, the Aggies and Jimbo Fisher are looking to improve to 4-0. and They want to show the country that they are still that college football playoff contender that they were last year. And they also got some question marks. Zach Calzada takes over the starting quarterback spot until Haynes King returns. He had to step up in that Colorado game, got the win. They, you know, they had New Mexico as a great tune-up game, but now this is going to be the test. What is this A&M team going to be with Calzada at that QB1 spot? And then the Razorbacks on the flip side are probably the hottest team and one of the biggest underdog stories in the country, especially after UCLA got uh, beat this past weekend by Fresno State. But they have all the hype coming into the weekend. Sam Pittman has has the Razorbacks, guys. This is going to sound crazy coming out of my mouth. If they can get a win this weekend in Dallas, you're talking about Arkansas potentially being a top-10 team in the country. I never thought in my life that that would come out of my mouth on this show this year. And any time soon, I would say even next year, but that's what the Razorbacks have done this this year, a huge win against Texas. And then, you know, two, you know, they had some tune-up games, but man, this, this test is huge for Arkansas. It's a must win for them if they expect to continue this great run. Looking at the series though, A&M is on a nine-game win streak, looking to make it 10 as we get into this game this weekend. But five of the last seven games in this series have been one-score games, and it's and it's seen its share of memorable moments, whether that be overtime games, back-and-forth you know, matchups. And th- this rivalry game 
it, it's like all the others in the country, man. You could just throw out the records because there was years where Arkansas was atrocious and they gave A&M a game even when they weren't supposed to. But now we have one of the most important matchups in this in this matchup in years. I, I can't even I, – personally, I don't remember the last time both of these teams were ranked in a long time. So this one means the world. And so let's get into the keys for Texas A&M. They should, it should be the exact same game plan that they've used all season. Lean on, lean on this rushing game led by Isaiah Spiller. Control the clock and let your defense impose its will because what that will do is allow Zach Calzada to not have any pressure on him and he can open up the deep passing game at times later in the game to really put this game out of reach and utilize some of those deep threats that he has in, in terms of playmakers at wide receiver. Now, Spiller and uh, Devin and Kane have been absolutely unstoppable this season, and they're going to be the X factors for the Aggies, in my opinion. I, I think I think both of these guys are ballers, and they cannot allow Arkansas to shut down this run game down. Spiller, Spiller and these boys have to have their best game of the season. You look at Spiller, 250, a touchdown averaging over six yards per carry. A Kane also over 200 yards, two touchdowns and over six yards per carry. That has to be the formula. They have to run the ball, control the clock, wear down that Arkansas defensive front, and open up some um, great opportunities down the field in terms of high percentage throws for Zach Calzada. Now, he stepped up, like I said, in the Colorado game. He threw the game-winning touchdown after a few struggles early when he came in. He's going to have to have one of his best games of the season if the Aggies expect to get out of here with a win. The biggest the biggest concern I have are turnovers and, and accuracy for him. Well, he's only completed 51% of his passes this year, four, 450 yards, four touchdowns, and two picks, though. Calzada has made a living off the deep ball. That is a that is the biggest positive in terms of what he brings compared to Haynes King, who really struggled with the deep ball in his limited action. You know, even though Calzada's only attempted the deep ball on 8% of his passes thus far, he grades out at a 95 in terms of passes 20-plus yards down the field. He has 120 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers in those attempts. So the more if they can get the deep ball going or get or run the ball well enough to open up some one-on-one opportunities on the outside to take the deep shot, have those safeties like Catalan come down into the box, they're going to have to try to find something deep at some point in this game and really get some explosive plays through the passing game going. Now if Calzada can stretch the field, it's really going to I get it's really going to impact the Razorback defense and put them in some tough spots because when you look at the same offense, they're too talented in the backfield for you only, you know, for you to only put a you know five or six in the box. You're gonna to have to stack the box to stop Spiller and this running attack because this offensive line has performed very well. But but the biggest problem is for Arkansas, you also don't want to let those guys on the outside like Anaya Smith. Um, Demas exploded onto the scene last week. Watermeyer at tight end is a problem. They have too many weapons at too many different spots. So Arkansas is going to have to find a balance between not allowing the big explosive plays over the top while also limiting the run. Now, the weak spot of A&M, though, is the is, uh, pressure on the quarterback. Calzada it turns into a completely different quarterback when he's under pressure. Only completing 37% of his passes under pressure with two picks – and his average pass attempt um, per, I guess, his yards per average pass attempt drops to four yards. 
that that's not going to beat Arkansas. You're going to have a huge problem. And that's why the offensive line for the Aggies are one of my most important units in this game. And we'll get to them a little bit later. But, you know, Anaya Smith is my X factor, man. If if they can get the run game going, Anaya Smith is is someone to watch on the outside because, you know, Arkansas has some great DBs. But Smith is so explosive, and I want to see what he can do. I mentioned, you know, Demas coming in last week and exploding. I believe he had two catches for 100 yards and had a a bunch of explosive plays. He's going to be someone to watch. I want to see how much action he sees because last week was really the first time we saw him on the field. So those are some things to watch for Texas A&M. Now, the key for Arkansas is similar, but it's because of their diverse ground attack and especially the extension of K.J. Jefferson with his legs and what he can do out of the pocket, it's going to be very interesting to see how Arkansas establishes the run game compared to A&M's, you know, two-back system. You look at, you know, Traylon Smith, Raheem Sanders, Dominique Johnson, A.J. Green, all these guys have over 100 rushing yards this year, and when they put up that 300-yard rushing performance on Texas, it was a by-committee approach, and they had so many guys taking it to the house. And the one thing Arkansas has going for them, in my opinion, that A&M doesn't, is that they can they have the luxury to wear down this front seven with fresh bodies all game. You look at Smith, over 200 yards rushing, three touchdowns. Sanders, 130 in the touchdown. Johnson, 130 and three touchdowns. And Johnson's averaging eight yards per carry, while Green has 104 yards, and he's averaging seven yards to carry and a touchdown. All have touchdowns, all have over 100 yards, and all four running backs are averaging over five yards per carry. That That is a dangerous, dangerous recipe against this A&M defense who – Yes, they've only allowed 77 yards passing per game, but they've allowed a few teams to really open up that run game on them, and they're allowing over 160 yards rushing per game. So Arkansas has to establish the run and get all those talented running backs that they have accumulated into the game plan. Now, K.J. Jefferson, man, he might not be you know the best passer in the country, but he does well in the top. He can make the throws when needed, but th- – the combination of his ability to run out of the pocket, make make plays, be that all-around playmaker is what makes him such a dangerous weapon for the Razorbacks this weekend. Arkansas has not had a quarterback like this in a long time. Say what you want about Felipe Franks playing well last year. K.J. Jefferson is different, and he just seems every week to get more and more confident. Last week he threw for over 300 yards, um, which is the first time we saw him do that. He's completed over 60% of his passes, has four passing touchdowns, averaging over seven yards per rush as well with two rushing touchdowns. The, the guy has played outstanding this year. I want to see him become a little bit more consistent through the air and avoid those turnovers, but Jefferson is at his best when the Razorbacks' running game is rolling, and he has the he has the arm to test this A&M secondary deep, which at times has not been tested at all. They've been playing lights out, but they also haven't seen a quarterback, in my opinion, who can air it out like Jefferson with his arm strength. And also, I just don't think they face an offense like this Arkansas offense yet. Now, he has to avoid turnovers. I mentioned that once, but I'm going to go ahead and say it again. A&M secondary is has playmakers everywhere. O'Neal, Richardson, Jones, all those guys are absolute matchup nightmares and problems. And if you put the ball in danger, you read the wrong thing, you get confused, you get you get pressure and throw it up, they're going to intercept it, and they're going to take it back to the house, and they're going to make you pay. This defense is too good 
for Jefferson just to be, you know, freewheeling out there and just throwing in the double coverage. And he has to be calm and composed like he was against Texas. And he has to just make sure he makes the plays and keeps drives established. The, the offense in this game that can, that can establish their rhythm and control the, the pace of the game is going to win this game. And they both have relied on that all season. So now something's going to have to come to a head. Which defense, in my opinion, can make a stop is going to be the most important factor in this game. Now, the matchup to watch is so so hard to pick. I could have went with Arkansas's wide receivers against the secondary. I could have went, you know, Texas A&M's D-line against this Arkansas O-line. I mean, you could pick so many different matchups. But I'm more confident – and Jefferson under pressure due to his playmaking outside the pocket than I am Calzado. So I'm going to go with A&M's offensive line against this Razorback front seven because I feel like establishing the run is so important for A&M because I don't trust Calzada if he has to carry this offense alone. So I'm going to go with this matchup. And I just want to say, man, the Aggies O-line has played lights out this year, way better than I thought. They've had to rotate a few pieces, but even with new starters, with the pieces rotating, they seem to have built chemistry pretty fast. And and for me, it all starts with Kenyon Green. He is going to be a star, in my opinion, in the NFL. He's been so efficient. He's really the leader of this offensive line. But Layden Robinson, he's only played in two games, so he rotated in. He's the highest-graded offensive lineman for the Aggies this year, and is one of the best linebacker, one of the best run blockers in the country. So look out for him too. But the X factor here for me, Bryce Foster at center, is going to have to be the key for the Aggies. He has been the weakest spot on this offensive line all year, and the Razorbacks are going to try to exploit that up the middle because if you can get pressure up the middle, it throws the quarterback off tremendously. So. He's allowed seven pressures and five hurries already this year, and the Arkansas defensive line has some dogs on the inside of that line that can get a pass rush. Bryce Foster has to have one of his best games of the season. Now, the Aggies have only given up six sacks this year, but this is one of the best front sevens they've seen. They cannot allow Calzada to have pressure in his face all game and for him to get that internal clock ticking way faster than they would like. they got to keep Calzada comfortable, and they have to win this matchup if they expect to win the game, especially in terms of establishing the rushing game with Spiller in them. So the Razorbacks front seven, on the other hand, has a lot of experience, and they're finally delivering on all that experience and all that hype, and they've played exceptional. I mean, when you shut down Bajan Robinson in a game like that t- two weeks ago, it, it is so impressive, especially because he's one of the best running backs in the country. Now, the linebacker spot is probably the strength of this defense. I love Catalan at safety, but as an overall unit, Hayden Henry, Bumperpool, Grant Morgan, they've combined for over 70 tackles this year, which is you know a- approaching almost 50% of the tackles on this team. And they are everywhere, and they have shown a unique ability to make plays all across the field. Now, Bumper pool is someone I want to watch, man. He is kind of like the heart and soul of this defense, and he's going to be the guy who you can rely on to stop the run by himself. Almost, he is going to be. He's going to. He's going to be the Mike type guy who's going to be all over the field. So look out for pool this game. Now the defensive line: Zach Williams at the edge spot and John Ridgeway at the interior of that defensive line are both going to make huge impacts on this game. Now Markel. 
uh, I believe it's Utsi and Trey Williams are going to be the other starters. And Trey Williams is my X factor on this D-line. He's the second highest rated pass rusher on this team, and he's going to have to have a big game. He's going to have to try to find a way to get around those tackles on the edge who have been the strength of this A&M D-line. Now, Isaiah Nichols is another now I want you to watch. He's a backup D-tackle, but he has been one of the most efficient defensive linemen for the Razorbacks all season. I think he's a key to take advantage of the middle of that offensive line for A&M and try to get some pressure up the middle while also trying to slow down this explosive running game from A&M. The Razorbacks have seven sacks over the first three games, but they've generated 25 pressures thus far this season. And the front seven has has shut down the run game for most of the teams they played and really set the secondary up to make some major plays. So what has to happen is which offense, I mean, the, the, the main question I have is which offense can establish the run game? Because if one of these teams gets shut down on the ground, I think it could be a runaway for the other team. Which team can impose their will? That is the main question, and I am so excited for this matchup. So for my official prediction, man, I think this is going to be a low-scoring game, especially early, and I think it's going to just be – it's going to be an old-fashioned, like I'm going to – who can play smash-mouth football the best? I just have a little bit more faith right now, man. It would be it would probably be so different if Haynes King wasn't hurt. I have more faith in K.J. Jefferson to make a play – then I do Zach Calzada to win the game. And just the by-committee approach of that running back room for Arkansas, I think is going to wear down that defensive front just enough. And I think this is going to be a A&M's up here. Arkansas scores there up. And it's going to be a back-and-forth game all game. I just think Arkansas makes one play late with K.J. Jefferson and the Razorbacks in the nine-game win streak for the Aggies. Arkansas 24, A&M 20 is my prediction for this weekend. And, guys, this now – The Blue Bloods are out.